Who is this? Good morning, friends. I'd like to invite you uh, to begin to close your eyes. Can you hear the crowd shouting? What is that they're saying? Hosanna? Can you smell the tang of sweat on the person next to you in the crowds? Long walk to Jerusalem for Passover, eh? Can you see the man on the donkey? Just barely, if I stretch. Can you feel the sharp edges of the palm frond in your hand? Who was that guy that gave this to me anyway? Can you taste the dust in the air? Jerusalem, Passover, and something's happening. You're welcome to open your eyes whenever you feel so led. A little engagement of the senses to set the scene uh, today. I'd like to thank the community for this opportunity to share some reflections on this Palm Sunday. Uh, I speak uh, fairly regularly, uh, but it's almost always talking about MCC and mostly about MCC's work in Africa. So it's a nice opportunity to be able to uh, share with uh, the community of faith uh, that I'm a member of uh, on a topic that's other uh, than MCC uh, and Africa. So I'm going to put that MCC hat aside and continue our journey together into this sixth and final Sunday of Lent, a Sunday that we've come to call Palm Sunday. And we saw the children and that beautiful singing as a demonstration of the triumphal entry uh, earlier. When one looks into these stories and does a closer reading, and especially when one compares the gospel texts, I don't know if you have a habit to do that, but this gave me the opportunity to read all four side by side. The story is in all four gospels. I noticed that only John has palm branches. And believe it or not, Luke has no branches at all. And yet this is our Palm uh, Sunday. And I'd like to invite everyone to remember in this community of faith that it's these very palm branches that were carried to the front today by our children that will be made into ash and that will invite us to begin our Lenten journey uh, next year on Ash Wednesday. To borrow a phrase that's been used from here before, we've been this way before. As with many moments in the church calendar, a time like Palm Sunday can feel a bit like been there, done that. So we, we know what's there. We know what's in the text. We know what's in the story. And I certainly learned some things this week in, in doing a, a close reading of the story, primarily in our Matthew text, which is uh, the text from um, the lectionary uh, for this week. And of course, many of us have been this way, all of us virtually have been this way many times before. However, I think that we're different people today, each of us, uh, different than we were a year ago, different than we were a decade ago. And therefore, the meaning of a day like today changes. What do you think of when you think of Palm Sunday? What have you uh, been told that the story means? And what have you experienced in your life? I think of some images from childhood. Um, I think even one of the children's Bibles we had in our home uh, had an image of Jesus uh, riding on the donkey, children with uh, palm branches. But I also think about our eight years uh, living and working uh, in Kinshasa, 
in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, Kinshasa is about six degrees below the equator, and it's at a very low elevation, so it's a hot and steamy place. And particularly at this time of year, uh, when Palm Sunday would fall, uh, March, April, uh, it is a hot place. And so one of my memories is waking up on Palm Sunday morning to a hot, steamy, bright morning. One of the cool things about living in a place like that is that uh, religion, in a sense, is very public. And so the moment you step out the gate, perhaps to buy some bread at the corner, you see people parading by already. Uh, everyday life uh, is a processional uh, for many uh, in Kinshasa. And this day is, is no different, except there's a bit more of a celebratory note. And the palm branches are readily available. We even had a palm uh, tree in our own, in our own yard. And so it was, it, that's a sense of a memory of mine, and I'm sure you all have memories of your own of this uh, day in the church calendar. One of the things that's interesting to note about what we, what we know about this story, what we've been told about this story, how we've experienced this story, is that those things come to us from our parents, from our Sunday school teachers, from those uh, that we're journeying with. And I just noted that in the version of the NRSV that I have, in the annotations at the bottom of the page, it gives a little title uh, to the Palm Sunday story in each of them. And each of them is a little different. We're using the Matthew passage, which is called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's pretty straightforward. We can live with that one. Mark says, a messianic demonstration. I'll comment a little more on that in a minute. Luke says, the entry into Jerusalem. And John, believe it or not, the title in the NRSV annotation says, Confusion in Jerusalem. So what is the story here? What are the images in your mind? And what is the significance of this event? And also, who are the key characters uh, in the story? What have you been taught the story of Palm Sunday is all about? I've entitled my reflections this morning, Who is this? which is the question that Matthew says is asked by the whole city when they heard the commotion of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And you know, for some reason, this got me thinking of the song from Jesus Christ Superstar. Anybody guess which song it got me thinking of? A crowd wondering what's happening. Who is this? The whole city is in a clamor. How about what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's... I actually went on YouTube and watched it again last night just to remind myself. Now, that, that song in Jesus Christ Superstar does not fit here in the story, but I thought it was quite apropos as the crowds are kind of buzzing around saying, what's, what's going on? Who is this? The whole city, it, it, we're told, is in turmoil. And we'll talk a bit more about the, the actual word that's used there is, is the, the city is shaken the same way that an earthquake uh, would shake a place, the same verb uh, that's used. People are wanting to know what the commotion is about. Who is this? They're asking the question, who is this? Is this someone for me to pay attention to? Now, I should note, just for the sake of balance, that one of the commentators uh, that I referred to, his name is Hare, said that it's likely that the demonstration itself, this process of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem, was on such a small scale that it failed to attract public attention. Now, that doesn't change the fact that it's a good story. I think the next thing the commentator said I found very intriguing 
was that this very well may have been an acted parable. Jesus told a lot of parables, but in this case, this may have been a parable that was acted. We clearly see intentionality in Jesus telling his disciples to go and get these animals, which is a clear uh, fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah. Uh, and so understanding that as a way of Christ saying, we're walking through this process together of fulfillment and seeing it as an acted uh, parable. And maybe that's a bit at what the Mark title of a messianic demonstration uh, gets at. Uh, this was the staging of an acted parable. So in addition to focusing on this question of who is this, which focuses on the character of Jesus himself, the other key character that I'd like to talk a bit about today are the crowds. Crowds play a pivotal role throughout Jesus' ministry, and we know all too well the, the role that the crowd will play in Jerusalem after today. We see the role they're playing today. We know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen with the crowds. I noticed that both songs that Margaret had us sing that were specifically about uh, Palm Sunday referred to crowds. It's a key player uh, in this conversation. Interestingly, again, in looking at the four Gospels together, Matthew is the only one that addresses the question of the identity of Jesus in the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. The question of who is this? Again, this story is in all four Gospels, but none of the others uh, refer to Jesus' identity specifically. And of course, as we've already seen, they're all a little different. Uh, Luke, for example, uh, shows Jesus responding to the Pharisees' demands to quiet the crowds with the famous statement of Jesus, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. And John's version of the story, interestingly, makes a very specific reference to the fact that the crowds were there uh, because they were coming to meet Jesus because they had heard he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. It raised the curiosity of the crowds. But this morning we want to talk a bit about Jesus' identity, as we find in our gospel text in Matthew. But first, we want to look back where we started, with the taste of dust in our mouths and the tang of sweat in our nostrils. That's right, the crowds. What do you think of crowds? There are probably some of us in this room that are drawn to crowds, perhaps curiosity, perhaps wanting to be part of what's happening. And there are probably some, too, that can only move in the opposite direction, want to move only faster in the opposite direction. What kind of people draw crowds? I thought of some of my experiences, again, some of them living and working in Congo, uh, with heads of state like long-serving President Mobutu, who I saw on a few occasions, uh, President uh, Kabila uh, being driven off the road once when his motorcade was coming the other direction. I'm sure there are some in this room uh, of those that lived and worked in Ethiopia that would have some interesting stories to tell, perhaps, of processionals of Emperor Haile Selassie. be interesting maybe to hear some of those stories sometime. I also, some of you know, uh, was at a Justin Bieber concert this summer. So I also know a thing or two about crowds. And they can be pretty vicious too, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, we're going to have a wonderful crowd uh, coming down this street in two weeks uh, for the Race Against Racism, more than 2,000 people uh, in Lancaster County uh, walking uh, to, in the struggle against racism. 
I imagine that one or two people in this room may have been uh, in a crowd when uh, then-presidential candidate Barack Obama came through Lancaster, at least twice, as I recall. Um, and so sometimes we're drawn to crowds. Sometimes we choose to engage with crowds. Other times we want to get away from them. And of course, crowds can become menacing. Uh, certainly in this story, as we think about uh, next week and we think about the end of this week, we understand that crowds can turn, they can shift. What's the line between a crowd and a mob? There's also something called crowd psychology and mob mentality about things that people will do when they're with a group that they would never do on their own. We talk about the maddening crowd, and yet some of us yearn uh, for crowds. What kinds of people are drawn uh, to that? I also think of our most recent experience just these days in North Africa and parts of the Middle East uh, where crowds have shown the power uh, that crowds can have to uh, make change uh, in situations. So crowds are, are powerful things. Uh, and again, they can be used for good purposes and they can also uh, shift and become menacing. Of course, there were already crowds uh, in Jerusalem because of Passover uh, at that time. And when some of the crowds heard the commotion around Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, they got closer to have a look. They were the type to be drawn to a crowd. They tried to get a sense of who or what was being celebrated in what they were hearing, and they weren't sure, so they asked, Who is this? Now, crowds, as I said, are present throughout Jesus' ministry, and indeed a key uh, character in many of the stories of Jesus' teaching and healing uh, ministry. And of course, there are times that Jesus uh, clearly fled uh, the crowds. But even if we look uh, in the book of Matthew, even just right around the story that we have today in Matthew 21 of the triumphal entry, we can see two quick examples of the role of crowds in Jesus' unfolding story. Just at the very end of the, of the preceding chapter, Matthew 20, there are two blind men that are sitting by the side of the road and they're calling out to Jesus who is surrounded by the crowd. And the, crowd, and, and, and the verse says, the crowd sternly ordered them to be quiet and tried to shout them down. However, the blind men persisted and Jesus said, what do you want for me to do? And in response, Jesus healed them even though the crowd wanted to pass them by, didn't have time for them. And then indeed at the very end of our chapter today, Matthew 21 and verse 46, um, it's noted that the chief priests and Pharisees wanted to arrest Jesus, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. And so here, ironically, on Palm Sunday, uh, at the beginning of Holy Week, the crowds play the role of deterrent and indeed of protection for now of Jesus from arrest. Crowds are fickle things indeed. As I said earlier, we heard that the crowds, the whole city was in turmoil and shaken as if by an earthquake, uh, by the arrival of the Lord's anointed. There's also an interesting parallel at the beginning of Matthew uh, in uh, chapter 2 when it says that Jerusalem again was shaken uh, by the birth, the news of Jesus' birth. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. 
So at the beginning of Jesus' life, Jerusalem was shaken, and now we see Jerusalem shaken again as Jesus approaches the end of his earthly life. And so the city is shaken uh, by the arrival of Jesus. And clearly this is a moment, whether or not this was a large public event, whether it was more of an acted parable, this is clearly a momentous moment in Jesus' ministry, a fulfillment of prophecy, and the crowds play a critical role. One commentator I consulted referred to the untrustworthy character of the crowds in Matthew. I think we know that story all too well. We're reminded, too, that Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. There are clearly many here who are crying, Lord, Lord, as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. But we see uh, how their behavior uh, will carry through uh, to the end of this week. Matthew knows, and we know, too, that the crowd will finally fail and will shout, Crucify him. But it's not, so it's not their theology that's wrong. They know that Jesus is Lord. But their problem is they don't transform their words into deeds. This is the deep irony in the opening scene in Jerusalem. And indeed, it sets the tone for the passion story as a whole. And the crowds, the untrustworthy crowds, are critical players in it all. The same crowd shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! in Matthew 21, will be shouting, let him be crucified, in Matthew 27. And this turn in the crowd is connected to Jesus' identity and the explosive implications of who he is. The power and the danger of the question of Jesus' identity is a critical component to understanding and preparing for the crisis of Holy Week and both the crucifixion and the resurrection. And in the Matthew telling of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the question is asked by those in Jerusalem, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. However, is that the whole story? It's not untrue, but is it incomplete? Let's look at some specific instances where Jesus' identity is addressed, again, in Matthew. In Matthew 3, God spoke from heaven upon Jesus' baptism by John and said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. That's a pretty clear statement of identity. Jesus uh, poses a question to his disciples in Matthew 16. Who do others say that I am? The responses range among different prophets, maybe Elijah, maybe Jeremiah. But Peter responds that you are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Sounds pretty right to me. In Matthew 17, 5, God again speaks after Jesus comes down from the mountain with Moses and Elijah. God says of Jesus, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Echoing, of course, what we heard earlier uh, in Matthew. Interestingly, in the 12th chapter of John, where the triumphal entry story is in John, in the very same chapter, uh, God again speaks to Jesus, uh, this time before the crowds. Um, Many heard thunder. Some thought it was the voice of an angel. In essence, the message of God was that God affirmed Christ on his path into Holy Week. 
And so we have many examples of God's identity being uh, articulated uh, at different stages along the way. And yet still, uh, Jesus' identity uh, is in question. Now, as part of understanding Jesus' identity, we also need to understand not only his divinity, as outlined clearly by God, but also Christ's uh, humanity. As we've heard these Sundays, the overall theme of our Lenten journey this year is becoming human, called and shaped by Jesus. In the Philippians passage we heard read this morning uh, by Aubrey, uh, which is sometimes called the Christ hymn, we heard one piece of Christ's identity, his humanness. Verses 7 and 8 underline that Jesus was born in human likeness, found in human form. What does it mean for us to be created and recreated images of God? And how may we become authentically human as Christ was also authentically human? The power and danger of Jesus' identity is such a threat that Matthew 27.20 tells us that the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowds to have Jesus killed. Now again, we see the crowds but we also see the manipulation of those in power. Powerful people manipulating crowds to their own ends. Does it sound familiar? It's a story as old as time. In looking again at the same Philippians passage, it began with verse 5, which reads, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, knowing the mind of Christ seems an enormous and daunting task but a critical one to understanding Christ's true identity. And how can we endeavor to plumb those mysteries to imagine that we can know the mind of Christ? Morna Hooker says this about this Philippians passage. The attitude that is appropriate, or the mind that is appropriate, to those who are in Christ is that shown by the historical person they know as Jesus. And the very fact that they are in Christ is the result of that attitude. It is perhaps no accident that the phrase Paul uses in verse 5 is not in Christ, but in Christ Jesus. As though to remind the Philippians, and I would say us today as well, of of what the one they now call the Lord was like. End quote. So to better understand who Christ is, to better understand the mind of Christ, Christ's identity, we need to look hard at what Jesus the Christ did when he walked this same earth that we walk today. That's a pretty encouraging word for us as Anabaptists who want to take the life of Christ seriously. As with the crowds earlier, they got the theology right, but they didn't get the behavior right. And as with those crowds, it's not just the talking, it's also the walking. The best translation, therefore, of of the verse in Philippians is one that conveys the whole extent of Paul's appeal, which is both to the attitude shown by Christ Jesus and then also to the attitude that we uh, need to have as those who are in him, as people of Christ. Attitude is about behavior and how we engage the world. And our clear model there is the historical person we know as Jesus. 
Now, we have a tendency as human beings to place identities on other people and even on ourselves. We likely have some opinion of each person we know just as they have opinions of us, identities that we've created for each other. As Christians, we are free to disregard all of the identities that other people place on us. We are called to tune our ears to God's voice. We heard God speaking about the identity of Jesus, God's Son. It is God, our Creator, who gives us our true identity, just as God gave Jesus his identity. How can we fully embrace Jesus' true identity and make it a central part of our true identity? What is the power in fully grasping the mind of Christ and making that attitude and those behaviors core to who we are and how we engage the maddening cries, crowds? rather. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaking, asking, who is this? The ever-present crowds in Jesus' ministry are here again central actors at the beginning of this final act of Jesus' earthly walk. We go from the crowds of today shouting, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, to the mobs of a few days from now, breathing out violence. The crowd changes. Jesus and his core identity do not. Thanks be to God. May God continue to walk with each one of us in the development of our own Christian identity, modeled on the historical person we know as Jesus, as we engage the maddening crowds during Holy Week, and indeed as we continue to follow God's call on our identities and indeed on our lives. But wait, can you hear the crowds shouting? What is that they're saying? Hosanna? Can you smell the tang of sweat on the person next to you in the crowds? Long walk to Jerusalem for Passover, eh? Can you see the man on the donkey? Just barely if I stretch. Can you feel the sharp edges of the palm frond in your hand? Who was that guy that gave this to me anyway? Can you taste the dust in the air? Jerusalem. Passover, and something's happening. Hey, I think I'll ask this woman over here. She seems to know what's happening. Who is this? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.